Hey listeners, thanks for joining me today. Before I roll this week's episode, I have a few announcements. This week's episode features an interview with Dr. Asia Harris. About a week after we recorded the episode, she received notification that she passed her boards, which means that Dr. Harris is now a board-certified physician in family medicine. This is a huge accomplishment and worth celebrating, so if after this episode you want to send her a note of congratulations, head on over to her social media accounts and drop her a note. I'm sure she would be extremely appreciative. Second, I'm all about celebrating achievements, but I'm not always great about celebrating my own. So I do want to take a moment to celebrate myself. Two days after we recorded this episode, I found out that I passed all of my exams in my master's program in infectious diseases. By the end of the month, I will have submitted my thesis, and that means that I will be done with my program. Just a note to listeners out there who are thinking of trying something new, I highly encourage you to do it. I have always loved science and medicine, but for whatever reason, have pursued squishier degrees that indeed have served me well. But I finally mustered the courage to pursue a degree in infectious diseases, and I can't stress enough how glad I am that I did. There is no doubt that it was difficult sometimes. The content was challenging, as was managing the sheer volume of work, while also working full-time. But I did it, and I did it well. So again, if you are thinking of trying something hard, do it. When you accomplish your goal, and you will if you put in the work and believe in yourself, your only regret will be that you didn't pursue it sooner. And lastly, I've pre-recorded many episodes in anticipation of some very busy weeks, so if I get a listener question, it may not be possible to incorporate it into something pre-recorded. So in that case, I will release a bonus, so be on the lookout. All right, let's get on with the show. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, this is Heather. Thanks for joining me today. Today, my guest and I are going to discuss research on the effects of overindulging on pizza. I'm joined today with Dr. Asia Harris. Dr. Harris, thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and let our listeners know why you wanted to be on the show? Thank you, Heather. I appreciate the invitation to participate on this discussion. I am a family medicine physician. I'm a primary care doctor that takes care of both adults and children. I practice medicine in Michigan, where I'm originally from. I went to medical school at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and finished my family medicine residency at the University of Illinois in Chicago. I'm also the creator and primary contributor to the BlackFam.Doc platform that strives to improve health literacy and access by sharing health information through diverse outlets, including a health podcast of my own. So I really appreciate this opportunity to discuss these articles and address health literacy with you, as well as primary care. So I had the pleasure of checking out your website, and I am so impressed with the energy that you've poured into it. And just to everyone listening, please check out Dr. Harris's website. It's blkfamdoc.com. And there you can listen to her podcast, read her poetry and blog posts, and find links to her social media pages. And for our listeners in Michigan, check out her website for a collection of super helpful health, and community resources. Thank you for putting that together. As a librarian, I'm just so tickled. 
So before we get started, we need to address two administrative details. First of all, Dr. Harris and I have no conflicts of interest, which means that we have not received any funding with respect to any of the studies that we're going to be talking about. And as a disclaimer, information presented on this show and any related outlets such as social media and the website is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide health or medical advice. And if you have any questions or concerns about any of the information presented by anyone or anyone affiliated with the podcast, consult your healthcare provider. As you've heard several times before, consult your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health, wellness, medical, nutrition, or fitness regimen. With all of that out of the way, let's dive right in. Dr. Harris, before we get talking about pizza, would you mind defining some of the key terms we'll be using throughout the episode? Yes, it definitely be helpful. So the first is insulin. Insulin itself is a molecule that's made and released by the pancreas, which is an organ in your abdomen. Insulin helps regulate, transport, and store glucose, which is blood sugar, in order to create energy for the body. It's also released in response to blood sugar levels. So it increases when you eat food because your blood sugar levels increase when you eat food. Blood sugar is when glucose is actually in a person's bloodstream. And another thing I want to discuss was metabolism. So energy metabolism is the process of changing food into energy and glucose is a main source of energy. Another source of energy is carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are large molecules in food that are broken down into glucose in order to create energy. One of the ways that energy is used is actually stored. Energy storage or energy reserve is the storage of energy for a short-term period, which can be done by glycogen from glucose or for a long period from triglycerides from fat. Thank you. That's so helpful. I think listeners will really appreciate hearing some of the terms because it's not always easy to remember to say the easiest term. So thank you. Would you mind giving an overview of the article we're going to discuss today? Uh, Yes. So the journal article that we're going to discuss evaluate the metabolic endocrine appetite and mood responses after individuals who participated ate pizza. And they either had the feeling of general fullness or they ate the pizza to a point where they weren't able to eat anymore. So that was like maximum fullness. And the responses were measured based on blood work, body measurements, as well as validated surveys. And they were compared between the different groups as far as what they ate at that time. So thank you so much for saying that. Would you mind telling me why this article is important? So it's about overindulging on pizza. And the researchers measured various outcomes. Would you mind describing what those outcomes are and why it's important? So this article addressed multiple things, but the overindulgence is the main thing as far as either to a point of fullness or to a point where they aren't able to eat anymore. This is important because of the prevalence of obesity or excess body weight. It has continued to increase over the years and is associated with additional diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, and other medical complications. The study itself recognizes how calorie intake or increased food intake can impact a person physiologically, emotionally, and mentally. And so they looked at those responses depending on the different groups. 
And the study also wanted to look at how specific measurements and values changed when a person ate extra pizza versus when they ate to a maximum fullness sensation. And in a world where there's delicious food, varying portion sizes, as well as more processed food and less physical activity, increased calorie intake contributes to increased weight gain, obesity, and medical problems associated with that weight and obesity. Thank you. This sounds like a really important topic. So why don't we talk about it in the context of pizza? So the title of the news article we're discussing is Pig Out, You Can Eat All the Pizza You Want Occasionally Without Damaging Your Health, study says. As of August 24, the day we're recording this episode, this article was shared on Facebook and Twitter 3,100 times. The article summarizes a research study in which male participants aged 22 to 37 were invited to indulge in pizza. The author of the article wrote, Love a good slice of pizza? How about 12? Whether you're going to Thanksgiving dinner or an all-you-can-eat buffet, researchers have good news for foodies. A new study involving pizza finds people can eat much more than what normally would make them feel full without causing any health problems. The author says the researchers found that men who occasionally overindulged didn't suffer any immediate health issues, and at the end of the meal, the participants' blood sugar remained stable, but their insulin levels spiked by about 50%. Circulating fats were also higher when participants ate twice as much food as normal, and participants also experienced increased tiredness within four hours of overeating. Now, let's talk a little bit about who wrote this article. And just a reminder, this is the news article. We'll be getting into the journal article shortly. So the news article was written by Chris Malore, who, according to studyfinds.org, the publisher of the article, he worked as an author, researcher, and editor since 2006 and won a local Emmy Award for his work in sports television. I did a quick LinkedIn search which tells me that he worked primarily as a sports television producer for a number of years and wrote and edited content for a New York City news outlet before beginning his position as a medical writer in April 2020. So just a note about .org sites, it is a common belief that .org sites should be regarded as more reputable than .com sites. And I just want to elucidate a misconception Anyone can create a website with a .org at the end. It is not just for nonprofit organizations. Also, just to note about nonprofit organizations, just because it's nonprofit does not mean it's unbiased. There are plenty of nonprofits with biased agendas, and just an example of a nonprofit with a biased agenda would be political campaigns. So, Dr. Harris, I'd like to move on to the journal article that informed the news piece. Would you mind comparing and contrasting the journal article with the news story? You can talk about who wrote the article and what we know about the journal in which the article was published. Yes. So first off, the authors of the article were associated with many universities, including the University of Bath in the UK, Mahidol University in Thailand, Loughborough University in the UK, as well as the University of Bristol, which is also in the UK. The lead author is a PhD student researching the balance between carbohydrates and dietary energy. 
He co-authored the article with two other PhD students and several PhD level researchers. And the work was supervised by a professor in biological psychology. The British Journal of Nutrition is a legitimate peer-reviewed journal established in 1947. It's an international journal that publishes original papers and review articles across a full spectrum of nutritional science. All original research articles undergo a peer review, which is an important part of the research process. The study in the article evaluated multiple parameters based on measurements and survey responses to determine statistically significant data. Statistically significant means that the results are unlikely to happen by chance. The article details the methods, results, and discussion of the study for a more thorough explanation and understanding. Journal articles try to have qualified individuals contribute to the information and content. There are many sources of information that can be used to support articles. The news article used this journal as a resource, and the journal article used the study as a resource to provide information on the metabolic, endocrine, appetite, and mood responses after the individuals ate pizza. So last week's Lunch and Learn briefly described a peer review process, and I talked about the difference between journal articles and news articles. If you as a listener haven't yet listened, go back and press play. It's fewer than 10 minutes long. Now, before we jump directly into the article, let's take a minute to talk briefly about study design. Next week, I'll go into greater detail on a Lunch and Learn, but let's quickly discuss the highlights. This article used a randomized control trial, which we'll call an RCT from now on, and an RCT compares head-to-head two or more groups of people receiving different treatments or exposure. And an exposure is, just as it sounds, something which the research participant is exposed. In this case, the exposures were normal amounts of pizza and a very large amount of pizza. Furthermore, this was a crossover study in that each person ate a lot of pizza and the same person also ate a normal amount of pizza. So here's an example of how it works. Steve eats a normal amount of pizza and the researcher evaluates his blood. Another day, he eats a large amount of pizza and the researcher again evaluates his blood. The researcher then compares the results of both blood tests. This is what it's called when a patient serves as their own control. And again, I'm going to go into greater detail about RCTs next week, so tune in to learn more. Now, Dr. Harris, would you like to describe the study starting with who participated in the study? Yes. So it was a relatively small study. The participants included 14 males aged 22 to 37 years old with a body mass index, or BMI, that averaged about 24.2 which is considered to be in a normal range. It's so interesting that A, the study included only 14 people, and that it included only young men within a normal weight range, because the study actually invited people between 18 and 65 years of age with a BMI within normal or overweight range, but it did exclude those with obesity. Also, participants could not have any metabolic diseases or have partaked in any lifestyle activities that would harm the participant or influence the results of the study. So, Dr. Harris, can you talk to me a little bit about how excluding women, men, people without metabolic diseases, and people with obesity limit the findings of the study? 
Yeah, so the fact that the study didn't include women, older individuals, or people considered to be in the obese range makes it less likely to be generalizable to the community. The news article itself also has its own limitations. It utilizes only one study, a more diverse set of journal articles that looked at similar results would have made the news article itself more robust. Yeah, that's a really great point because it calls to question what the purpose of the news article was and if they were really trying to provide information about how to live a healthy lifestyle, they probably would have used the results of more than one study. But they wrote a very sensational headline, which encouraged you to click. So you will click their ads and generate revenue for the site. Let's move back to the study. Can you tell me what the researchers actually did and what outcomes they were looking for? You mentioned before that the researchers used blood tests to measure the participants' blood after eating pizza. Can you tell me what exactly they did and what they were looking for in those blood tests? Yes, I can talk about their overall method of the study. So on one day, participants ate a normal amount of pizza that generally satisfied their appetite. So when people eat and they're like, oh, I kind of feel full, that's where most of the people stop. On another day, they ate until they couldn't eat anymore. So they went to that level of fullness, but then they kept eating because they still had space, they still had energy, they still have some desire to take in a little bit more pizza. On a day that they were asked to eat to the maximum amount, the participants consumed 29 to 227% more pizza than they did on the day that they had a normal amount of pizza. The average intake on the overeating day was about double, and they ate double the amount of carbohydrates, fats, salt, and protein. The carbohydrates included very few grams of fiber, and the fats included high amounts of saturated fats. They also looked at various outcomes that describe the metabolic, endocrine, appetite, and mood responses. And the study showed that there was an increase in the level of insulin, which responded to the higher levels of blood sugar in the body, as well as an increase in the level of triglycerides from the calories in the food. And insulin, triglycerides, and a lot of the other measurements were taken from the blood work that was done at different increments throughout the study. The increases were statistically significant, meaning that they were less likely to happen by chance. And when the levels were compared between the people who ate to the point that they couldn't eat anymore compared to the people who ate to general fullness, that's what the statistically significant results mean. These increases were statistically significant, meaning they did not happen by chance. When the levels were compared between the people who maximally ate compared to the people who ate to a general fullness. Also, the increase in triglycerides would be considered to be clinically significant. Clinically significant depicts the impact on actual clinical practice. The triglycerides are molecules that are stored as fat cells for energy and ultimately can increase weight and risk of obesity. So the reason that the triglycerides are clinically significant is because of this potential increase in weight and risk of obesity if they are stored as energy for too long. Additionally, the study did evaluate different body measurements and found that the abdominal diameter increased for the people who ate to a point beyond general fullness. And that increase was statistically significant, though not very clinically significant, because a small change in the diameter of your abdomen 
doesn't really change the fit of clothes. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad we had the opportunity to really break down the article. It's pretty evident from the news article that it didn't fully describe the study or address the outcomes and limitations with the same level of detail as in the journal article. Before we close out the episode, I have some specific questions, mostly related to the consequences of the biometric changes. So can you tell me if there are any consequences of insulin spikes? So an increase in insulin is usually a response to an increase in blood sugar in order to help regulate the blood sugar level in someone's system. If an individual has a normal insulin response to the blood sugar level and a normal kidney function, then an increase or immediate spike in insulin is unlikely to cause short-term side effects. That being said, if a person has excess insulin or decreased kidney function for acute or chronic reasons, an insulin spike for any reason can potentially cause hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, which can cause a person to feel ill, confused, or even cause seizures for some individuals. Oh my goodness. So it sounds like we do not want our insulin to constantly be spiking. So another question what are the consequences of increased triglycerides? Yeah, so increased or excess triglycerides in the body get stored as fat cells for energy reserve. So that way, if your body needs more energy, it goes to these fat cells to produce more energy availability. This increase in triglycerides from the extra calorie intake from the study, for example, it was statistically significant. But an increase in triglycerides also means an increase in fat cells in the long run, which means an increase in weight and an increased risk of obesity over time. Thank you. So there's a lot of talk about good fats versus bad fats. Can you talk a little about the difference between these two fats? And also, are fats bad for us? Yes. So there are good fats and bad fats as far as the the simple terms for them. Fats are often broken down into saturated and unsaturated fats, which differ based on the molecular bonds. Good fats are liquids at room temperature, but bad fats are solids at room temperature because they tend to have a higher melting point. So good fats are usually coming from plants and fish, while bad fats or less healthy fats are usually coming from other meats or processed foods. Now, bad or unhealthy fats can be found in processed foods overall, but they can be found in a lot of other different types of foods. And when I say processed foods, I mean foods found in boxes or have long shelf lives. Other places where you find bad fats or unhealthy fats are in fried foods, sausages, pizza, candy, cheese, and different types of food that are delicious, but not always the best for you. Now, the consumption of bad foods that include bad fats can increase the risk of heart disease, diabetes, and high cholesterol, which in turn also increases someone's risk of heart attacks and strokes. Thank you. So we're going to talk just a second about whether or not pizza is sort of a bad food that you should be eating a lot. But I've got one more question about blood sugar. So is there a consequence of having elevated levels of sugar and fat in the blood? 
Uh, yeah, so elevated levels of blood sugar can cause damage to blood vessels. You have blood vessels running through every part of your body to all of your organs, to your brain, all the way to your kidney and into your toes. So the more blood sugar that you have potentially in your body, if it's damaging these blood vessels, then you can have medical problems and, and complications. As far as medical diseases that are associated with increased blood sugar, the one that is most common is diabetes, which is a disease associated with elevated blood sugar and your body's inability to regulate that blood sugar because of insulin resistance. Increased fat in the blood long-term can cause damage to the blood vessels as well. And that is in the setting of what we call high cholesterol. So when people have potentially like heart attacks or strokes, those are diseases that are caused by the narrowing of the blood vessels, which is usually associated with high cholesterol or fat within the blood vessels. So the journal article provided good information overall. It broke down how well the body could respond to extra consumption of food. But there's a notable limitation of only having healthy males in the study because not everyone has the same body type or responses to food consumption. So elevated levels of sugar, elevated levels of fat can cause consequences for some people. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's important that maybe the next step that the authors would take would to enroll more participants and enroll a wider variety of participants. So maybe men and women within a variety of age ranges and also include those who have various comorbidities. So one final question, and this relates directly to the news article. Is it okay to overindulge occasionally? And can you define occasionally? Is it once a week, once a month, a few times a year, Super Bowl Sunday only? Yes. Uh, so overindulging occasionally can likely cause limited consequences. But with each meal and subsequent calorie intake, the body responds, which can cause immediate utilization of carbohydrates and fats for energy at that time or stored energy overall. Energy stored long-term is energy stored in fat cells and is used if there is increased energy needs, but remains in the fat cells if there's no increased energy needs, and this can cause excess weight or increased risk of obesity. I would probably define occasionally as probably less than a few times a month, but that's under the assumption that individuals are taking in a normal calorie amount or taking in a, a lower calorie amount in the remaining days. Thank you so much for that. So Dr. Harris, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Before we end, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? Yes, I'll add a couple of things. I really like the idea of comparing news articles with journal articles because these news articles are what my patients and other people read on a more normal basis. Journal articles are not as accessible as news articles. And so I would love for the listeners to always read news articles about health with a little bit of a critical eye. Journal articles always tell you something as far as the results, but they also acknowledge their limitations. And so news articles don't always acknowledge the limitations of a journal article if it's pertaining to health. So I would just want people to always think about that as well as what 
individuals are included in the study. Yeah, that's a really good point about how the news articles don't often discuss the limitations. So I am convinced that a lot of news articles are written after having only read the abstract. A lot of times the news articles don't provide much, if any, more information than what is freely available. And a lot of the articles that I've come across have not been free. So in order for the author to have read the article, they would have had to pay for it. And I'm not sure what kind of budgets these organizations have, but it's more than likely that if you're reading a news article, they probably only read the abstract and they're not able to discuss the limitations. And the limitations may mean that that study doesn't apply to you. So again, Dr. Harris, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. And again, listeners, if you want to check out Dr. Harris's website, I would strongly encourage you to do so. There is a lot of good stuff on there. Some of it's entertaining. And if you're in Michigan, the information is super relevant to you because she directs you to a variety of community and health resources. Again, it's blkfamdoc.com. And also check out her podcast. Yes. Thank you, Heather. I really appreciate having this discussion with you and inviting me to talk about these articles. I think it's really important to clarify information and I loved being on your podcast today. Great. Thank you so much. And for everybody else listening, if you enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day and we'll see you next week.